Don't you love worshiping the Lord? <laughs> I, the, Jeff and John, I give them heart attacks every single week. I, 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 thank you, yes. <laughs> and, and we're going to pray for them too. Uh, I really appreciate those guys in the back making sure not only that we have the lights, we have the sound, but also that it goes out over uh, streaming as well. We are in Jeremiah chapter 34 last week we left off at verse uh, 17 this is one of those sections in your bible where the pages probably still stick together uh, but it is so amazing as you've been coming up for the last couple of weeks uh, we've been going through the book of uh, jeremiah and it just blows me away every single time um, we have the privilege of going through these Old Testament uh, books. In Jeremiah chapter 34, uh, verse 17, it says this, Therefore thus says the Lord, You have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people land who passed between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your uh, majestic throne room, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can come before you boldly, knowing that it's not our own um, will or our own flesh, but only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we even sang tonight. And as we prepare for communion, I ask that you would help us to even examine ourselves. Uh, to realize that none of us are without fault. All of us have sin, iniquity, transgressions in our lives. Lord, we ask as we read through these passages, just like uh, the Israelites long ago... Uh, they um, went back on their promises. And they, they reneged on their vows to you. And so many times we do the same thing. And Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy when we come before you and confess our sins. And we know that you hear us and you forgive us. Lord, convict us when we don't confess our sins. Lord, I, I do, I lift up to you my family, my friends, those that are here in the audience tonight. I ask that you would just bless them for giving up their, their time tonight to be here when they could be doing anything else. Lord, I, I ask that you be with Jeff and John and all the stresses that they have to go through, not only working throughout the day and then coming here and, and um, having to deal with all the, the issues of, of a, the technical side of everything. Lord, I ask that you bless them.
Lord, I thank you so much for those that are taking care of the kids right now, that you would just bless them, Lord. Uh, all the, the behind-the-scene things that they do for the kids out there so that the parents could be in here, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to prepare our hearts as we approach this subject tonight of, of Jeremiah bringing conviction, bringing a, even a judgment against uh, the last remaining Israelites within Jerusalem as the Babylonians are coming against them. Lord, help us to see today that wrath is right on the door, even in our own nation, Lord. And we ask that you would just bring revival into our land, that you would help us to look forward to seeing you again. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we, we learned that the Israelites, they had made this promise that they would release all the slaves in the land. And they had done that for a, a certain amount of time. Uh, the Babylonians are surrounding uh, the city of Jerusalem. The walls are being torn apart and used as fortifications. Literally, the rich people's houses are being torn apart to fill in the holes within the gaps of the walls of Jerusalem as Babylon is surrounding uh, Jerusalem, the last stronghold in uh, the land of Israel. And you remember there had been three times when Babylon has come. First time they take away those that were handsome, uh, intelligent, uh, those that could learn the Babylonian culture and language. People like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We read about that in the book of Daniel. And then Ezekiel, the second uh, exile, those that were taken away, second that were the blue collar workers or the people with skill. And then all that's left within the city now are the poor, the riffraff, and the ugly, the rejects, the ones that Babylon didn't even want. That, that's all that's left within the city walls, and they're taking advantage of anyone that they can. The slaves that they had, they said, oh, we'll, we'll release them, and then the Babylonians, they leave until they hear that the Egyptians that were supposed to come up and help Jerusalem is this kind of alliance. And they decide that they don't want to tackle the Babylonians. So the Egyptians, they return uh, back to their homeland. And Babylon, again, sets its eyes on Jerusalem. Again, returning to uh, the place where they are about ready to tear down the walls. And, and you remember that beautiful temple that King Solomon built? What's going to happen to it? Jerusalem, or Jeremiah, had to foretell that this is what's going to happen in Jerusalem. That beautiful temple, King Solomon's temple, that was overlaid with gold and had the beautiful gates. That beautiful, huge brass labored the bath, if you will, in the front courtyard is all going to be torn apart. And just like they reneged on their promise about keeping their fellow Israelites as slaves, the people within the walls of Jerusalem are going to be taken away into slavery. And this is what God is talking about here. First they had proclaimed liberty and then they had renounced their promise. They had brought those slaves back into enslavement. Once they found out, oh, this is hard getting water. This is hard cooking. This is hard doing all these things, the manual labor. Uh, 
especially in a drought, especially in a famine, especially when there's lots of hard problems going on all around them. And so the slaves are put back into slavery. It says there in verse 17, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother, everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says uh, the Lord. And then we get this pronouncement of judgment. The God of the Old Testament. One of these verses that we would never put on our own refrigerator. We would probably never highlight it in our Bible. We would never um, memorize it. But what is God saying to those people that are left, the remnant in Jerusalem? What is he going to say? To the sword, to pestilence, to famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. Where is God's mercy and grace? Even in the New Testament, by the way. What, what does it say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2? You guys have heard this before. Judge not, that you not be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What are they doing to their fellow countrymen? They're enslaving them. So what's God going to do then? He's going to enslave them also. For 70 years, they're going to be in another foreign country in Babylon having to listen to people speak in another language. Or in James, even. Again, another New Testament passage. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. What? Do you know what that means? If I don't show mercy to someone else, what is God going to do to you? What is God going to do to me? That's scary. We're, we're, we're the, you know, the image of God here on this earth. We should be showing grace and mercy ourselves to those around us. Why? Because God showed grace and mercy to you first. And thank God for that, because what do we all deserve? Including the person standing up here. We deserve eternal separation from the love of God. But thank God for his grace and mercy. That's what it says in James chapter 2 verse 13 at the very end. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. You got a saying, if you, if you don't show mercy to your fellow countrymen, I'm going to show you what it's like to be enslaved. Not, not to someone that's your relative or someone that's your uh, fellow nationality, but to someone who is a foreigner in another country where you're going to be taken away in uh, bondage. This is the example that he gives in verse 18. And I will give the man who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. You see, there was this vow that they had made. Just like Abraham some, you know, 800 years before. 
Remember Abraham, when the Abrahamic covenant was cut, there was this vow, this promise between God and Abraham. You can read about it in the book of Genesis. And God tells him, you need to split these animals in half. And basically it was a, a trench that was dug in this hill. And at the top of the trench, there was this ox and then a cow, and then a sheep, a ram, a sheep, and then a turtle dove. And God said, you're going to split these animals in half, and I'm going to make the vow. And if either one of us breaks this vow, this is what will happen. And God, knowing that Abraham would break this vow, puts him to sleep. A, again, a one-sided covenant, just like the cross, will... We'll learn about that when we take a coven or communion tonight. And who walks between those animals? God does. God makes the vow. And just like he makes that vow with us and our salvation, he does it with Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, not just for him, but for all the generations that would come. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to the tribes themselves, the Israelites. The covenant was cut by who? God, while Abraham was asleep there on the side of the hill. Knowing that Abraham and the Israelites would never be able to keep uh, this uh, covenant again, now some 800 years later in the book of Jeremiah, we see that they had made this vow again. We're promised, Lord, we're going to release the slaves. We're going to set them free. We're going to give them liberty. Until they see the Babylonians leave, and then what happens? It's a foxhole vow, Right? It's that vow and desperation. God, save me from my problems and I'll do this for you, right? You've heard it before. <clears throat> Maybe you've even said it before. Until it gets good in your life and then what happens? We forget the vow. God is going to show them what they have done to their fellow countrymen. It says there in verse 21, And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. And you can read uh, the previous chapter or watch the previous uh, lesson from last week, and you can find out what happened to King Zedekiah. The last king, by the way, in Jerusalem, the last king that's going to sit on the throne of David until Jesus comes again. It's going to be Zedekiah who's going to have to watch his own two sons, the last heirs, killed before his eyes. And then his eyes burned out of his head. Put in chains for the rest of his life. As it says in verse 22, Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to the city. They will fight against it. Re referring to the Babylonians, not the Israelites. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. This once beautiful city of Jerusalem is literally going to be torn to the ground. Including King Solomon's temple. Including King David's palace, including King Solomon's towers, including all those wonderful things that we think about when we think about the nation or the city of Jerusalem. 
It's literally going to be torn down until Ezra and Nehemiah return because they did not treat their fellow countrymen with respect. They are going to be put into bondage themselves. Jeremiah chapter 35 We found out what's happening within uh, the capital itself, within the very palace. It says, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go to the house of the Rechabites, Uh, speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took uh, Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes above the chamber of this other word that I can't pronounce, the son of Shulam, the keeper of the door. And then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink uh, wine. We have no clue what this means. It's culturally beyond us, right? Until you do a little bit of kind of digging. You see, just like us, you know, we know each other's names. We can pronounce each other's names. But unfortunately, when we go to another country or we read uh, another culture, what is it like to pronounce other people's names? Yeah, there's all these vowels. Lots of Zs. Lots of these, you know, pronunciations that for a person who lives in America, born and bred, you know, the tongue can't quite get it all. But, but do you understand what is happening? This group of Rechabites, these nomads, who, who weren't even Israelites, by the way. They, they were descended from Moses' father-in-law. Uh, th- these were people that were supposed to be out in the fields with their sheep. They wandered from place to place, pasture to pasture, just like some people do out here on 58 and 99 going up to Tehachapi or various places when they let their sheep go. They put a little temporary fence out, right? And they feed their sheep. They take care of all the fire hazards or whatever, right? And they get nourishment for their sheep. But what happens when the sheep eat literally down to the dirt? They have to move to another area. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, referring all the way back to Psalms chapter 23. You see, the Rechabites, though, because they were nomads, outside the city walls, the Babylonians had come, and what did they have to do? They're now behind the Jerusalem walls, no longer able to take care of their sheep out in the field. And so they're in the city of Jerusalem. They themselves had made this vow. We will never drink. We will never let any sort of the fruit of the vine touch our lips. Similar to the um, Nazarite vow. Which you, you guys know John the Baptist took. And several of the Old Testament prophets took. Samson is a notable one, right? From birth, they weren't allowed to have any sort of alcoholic beverage or or to eat even a single grape. 
And because of that, they, they were known for this vow. And what Jeremiah is doing is, he, he's asking them, I want to test this vow. So he puts out these bowls of wine before these people that had made this vow. As proof that they will actually keep a vow unlike the Israelites. Who are stiff-necked, hard-hearted willing to change their vows in an instant, depending upon the circumstances. In fact, these, these words that are used here are, have amazing definitions. And even though I can't pronounce them, I can look it up. And it's amazing what some of the definitions, this Jazaniah says, Yahweh hears. And Jeremiah, not the, the writer of this book, but a, another Jeremiah who was the father of this Jezaniah, the, the leader of this Rechabite uh, nomadic tribe, just like the writer of uh, this book and the book of Lamentations, his name means Yahweh appoints. And then the grandfather, Habazaniah, his name means Yahweh gathers. You see, the Rechabites, they had been appointed by God to give a, an example of this vow of hearing the word of God and had gathered them behind the Jerusalem walls for this time to show that they were willing to keep their vows. It kind of goes into a lot of detail here, but in verse 6 it says, But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor any of these for all your days you shall dwell in tents, and you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. That means nomadic. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all days. We, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyards, fields, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at uh, Jerusalem. The, these foreigners, these people that had been dwelling outside the city walls because of the vows that they had made are forced into the city walls because of the war, because of the Babylonian army. And despite the fact that they are now living within the walls, they're still keeping their vows. They're still remembering their heritage. These non-Jewish people are putting the Jews to shame in their promises. Because they're actually keeping them. There's amazing application in that too, by the way. Even though this was written some 15 or 2,500 years ago. Do you understand that we ourselves need to keep our vows? We ourselves need to be an example to those around of us. That may not know anything about Jesus Christ or God. 
that when we go back on a vow, what are we actually saying to those around us? That I, I too can, you know, break a promise. But as it says in verse 12, as it continues on, Jeremiah knows that they will not uh, go back on their vow, their promise. He says, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. That means they're done they will not, no matter how much peer pressure they have, they will not go against their vows. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. Those people behind the Jerusalem walls, the Israelites, the Jews, they themselves are not obeying God. The Rechabites are putting them to shame. The Rechabites who weren't even part of the covenant, who weren't even part of the original Abrahamic vow, are putting the Jews to shame. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil way. Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me, as we've been learning over and over and over again throughout the book of Jeremiah for 23 years, Jeremiah has gotten up early and gone and taught the people, but they have not listened. As the book of Jeremiah says more than any other book in the whole Bible, they have backslidden, they are stiff-necked, they are hard-hearted. And the hammer of the word of God is coming against them. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. <clears throat> what is it like to be put to shame by someone who doesn't even know God? Who, who, who doesn't even know about Jesus Christ and yet are willing to... Keep a vow or promise. You see, the Israelites, they're uh, relying upon their heritage. They're, they're re relying upon something that their great, 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 great grandfather did. They're relying upon their religious heritage. Oh, my grandpa went to church. My grandma went to church. My mom went to church, right? That's what they're relying upon. It's the, you know, the American Christianity, if you will. <clears throat> because I'm an American, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Or as, you know, a lot of people think, well, if I just die, I'm going to go to heaven. You're at every funeral, right? As, lo as long as they're not like Hitler, it's okay, right? 
but this is what God's saying here in this verse. These people are putting you to shame. And they're not even Israelites. There's three verbs that are very important here. In verse 18 and 19, it says they obeyed, they kept, and they did or done. They obeyed the word, they kept the word, and they did the word. Their vows they kept. Their vows they obeyed. And their vows they did. It was part of who they were. Now we know good works doesn't get us to heaven. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's only by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing that I do. But do you understand once we're saved, we are supposed to produce fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, peace, patience. All those fruits of the Holy Spirit. Not, not to earn salvation, but because we already have salvation. It's an example to those around us. And what happens when we don't have joy in our lives, when we don't have love in our life, or we don't have patience or peace or all the fruits of the Spirit? What do people see? All they can see is your actions, right? Just like with anyone, they can't read your thoughts or your heart. All they can see is the outward appearance. Are we showing the good works of God that he has done in us because we are already a Christian? We're supposed to be that beautiful body of Christ that shows those in the world who we are. By the way, we have the privilege of doing that multiple times throughout uh, the month, you have the privilege of doing it in your own uh, lives, your spheres of influence, whoever you may work with, whoever you may hang out with, you may be the only Jesus Christ that people see. And how do they see it? By your actions. By what you do, obeying the Lord. Unfortunately, the Israelites were the opposite. They procrastinated, they put off, and they disobeyed. They procrastinated, they put off, and they disobeyed. They backslid. In chapter 36, it continues on. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, against all the nations, from the day that I spoke, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversaries, or excuse me, adversities which I propose to bring upon them. That everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their uh, sin. And you remember when we first started the book of Jeremiah some you know, four or five months ago, uh, we had the privilege of having like an introduction. Jeremiah is the only one out of all the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, to write two books. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and then the book that comes after it, the book of Lamentations as well. And whether this was a, a part of this book, or, or maybe even the book of Lamentations, we don't know exactly. Uh, but it wasn't Jeremiah that wrote the book. 
Jeremiah is going to recite it. Jeremiah is going to get inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah is going to be the one that, you know, actually composes it. But it's going to be his friend, Baruch, who's going to be the one that writes it down. Why? Because Jeremiah is in a jail cell. Remember that? It's Baruch who's going to actually transcribe. In fact, this is the chapter in the whole book, or actually in the whole Bible, where this name Baruch is used the most. He's going to be Jeremiah's personal friend in the trials of Jeremiah's life. And thank God for good friends. Because when everybody else is condemning Jeremiah, leaving Jeremiah, speaking bad against Jeremiah, Baruch is going to be by his side through it all. In fact, he's going to be the one that transcribes every single one of the words that Jeremiah is going to recite. It says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. Just like Paul would use people to transcribe, just like other authors would use people to transcribe, this is what Jeremiah is doing. By the way, do you know the definition of the word Baruch? It means blessed. It means blessed. By, by the way, uh, just, a, just a plug here. Uh, Monday night, uh, my friend Dominic is going to be speaking to the men, and he's going to be talking about the definitions of names. And, and this amazing definition of this word Baruch here means to be a blessing. Who's going to be the blessing to Jeremiah? Baruch, right? The definition of his name. And, and by the way, he doesn't have a computer. He, he doesn't have spell correct. He, he doesn't have any way of other than the stylus, ink, and a scroll. And he literally transcribes every single word that Jeremiah says. Wow. What a friend is that? We are blessed when we have friends to those in need, especially the servants of God. Hospitality to those that put themselves on the line for the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, it wasn't Baruch that was the one that was actually, you know, uh, hearing the Holy Spirit. But he got to transcribe each and every single one of those words that the Holy Spirit spoke to Jeremiah. And just like all the rest of the Bible, he did it accurately. Verse 5, it says, And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction, the words of the Lord, in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. Because Jeremiah is confined behind prison doors. In a jail cell, Baruch is the one that's now transcribing and taking this message to those that would hear. 
In verse 7, it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury that God or the Lord has pronounced against this people, and Baruch the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Hearing the words for himself and then being the messenger for Jeremiah. Have you ever come to a Sunday service, a sermon, whatever it is, maybe something even that you heard online from a a person that was teaching from the word of God and it spoke to your heart, but you couldn't contain it yourself. What did you have? What do you have to do? Got to go tell someone, right? Pastor Mike gave this amazing sermon. I want to tell you about it, right? Do you understand that we also are messengers as well? Even if you don't have a title or, you know, don't have a a degree or whatever it is in theology, it doesn't matter. Can you tell what God has already told you? Yes, we can. You know the best thing you can tell someone, by the way? It doesn't have to be complicated. Just be how Jesus saved you. It's a unique story. Only you can tell, by the way. It's the perfect way to introduce Jesus Christ to someone else. This is what Jesus did for me. You can do the same for you. Baruch now is putting himself in danger, by the way, though. He, he, he's going to put himself on the line. He's going to be scrutinized. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be um, ostracized. Verse 9, now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of, or the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem. And all the people who came from the cities of Judah and to Jerusalem, then Baruch read from the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. There in the temple, he's going to read it. The place where they're supposed to be religious. They're supposed to learn about God. They're supposed to receive some sort of instruction. But what do they do instead? Verse 11, when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he then went down to the king's house in the described chamber, and there all the princes were sitting. A whole bunch of names here that I'm not going to read. You can try and pronounce them yourselves. Verse 13, then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard from Baruch, read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore, all the princes sent Yehudi, uh, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushai, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read to the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand. Can you see this? He's carrying the scroll that he himself transcribed the words of God through Jeremiah. And they said to him, sit down now, read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Now it happened when they heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king all these words. And they asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? Referring to Jeremiah. 
try, try and picture this. So Baruch answered them. He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. And then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. Why? There's a bounty on their heads. It's going to make the king extremely angry. And they went to the king and to the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe. They told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Yehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama's scribe's chamber. And Yehudi read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him in this cold weather with this big, huge blazing of fire in this amazing fireplace. And what does he do when he hears the words from the scroll? Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in the hearth before him. And it happened when Yehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife, cast it into the fire that was on the earth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Didn't even get through the whole thing. Can only bear to hear a part of the scroll before he takes that knife, cuts up the scroll, and throws it into the fire. Talk about breaking all of the commandments at once. Burning the word of God. This is the worst part, though, in verse 24. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king, nor any of his servants who heard all these words. They're, they're not even scared of the God of the universe. They don't even believe. These people that were descended from Abraham who cut the covenant, by the way, while, while God wrote, uh, walked through those split animals, the, the Abrahamic covenant, the, those people who, who proclaimed were, were sons of Abraham, they were proud of who they were, the mark was on their body. They, they themselves, you know, pronounced that they believed God, but what are they doing? What do their actions say? Nevertheless, Al-Nathan, Deliah, Gemariah, Yerumel, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. A bounty is put out on them. By the way, have you ever read the last chapter of the book of the Bible? The book of Revelation. Chapter 22. 
For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, not just Revelation, but the whole Bible. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. What will happen when you actually burn the word of God? By the way... Uh, the king here, the one we see here, not, not Zedekiah, the one that was before uh, King Zedekiah. He himself is going to be taken away into captivity in Babylon too. But he's going to die by burning, by being burned. The Babylonians who don't even know this story. It's going to be fulfilled in their very presence by their very hand. Verse 27, we'll be ending it here. Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, take yet another scroll. Wow. You can't just go back to a file, a saved file. You, you can't just go back to some sort of, you know, uh, saved program that you have where you'd already typed it out. Or email it or, or somehow get it from a USB stick. No, what does Baruch have to do again? Transcribe every single word again. Wow, dedication. A blessing, by the way. As Jeremiah again recites those words to Baruch. Sharpen that stylus again. Refill that ink well. Get another scroll. Write it all down again. What a blessing is that. Take yet another scroll. Write on all the words of the former words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is the pronunciation, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the heat of the sun and the frost of the night, and I will punish him, his family, his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring on them all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on all the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. And Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned in the fire and besides there were added to them many similar words. Oh, the dedication of the prophet of God. Not, not just writing, you know, the, these 52 chapters, the, the seven or the, excuse me, the five chapters and lamentations. But having to transcribe again the words of God. Even in our culture today, have you ever tried to type out even a chapter of the Bible or to write out a chapter of the Bible? It's a lot of work, right? And for Baruch to have to write this all over again, the words of God. 
Do you know that God is persistent too? That, that he doesn't just come to us once, thank God. And then give up. Because if he did that, guess what? None of us would be saved. None of us. God is persistent. Over and over and over again. Coming to us and presenting his love and grace and mercy. The epitome of this, of course, is the cross, right? Jesus Christ on the cross. What we're going to be celebrating in about a week and a half on Easter, Good Friday, crucifixion, Saturday, the burial, and then, of course, Sunday, the resurrection. Our tradition in this church, every first Sunday, first Wednesday, we get to take communion. There's stations around, and you can just grab a cup. You don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, because otherwise it means nothing. So I invite you, just grab a, a cup. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, or just hold on to it. We're going to be taking it corporately uh, together. You can just uh, grab a, a cup. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. You see, what they were doing in the Corinthian church, they were taking this, they were rushing it, they were trying to get there early and eat all the food before anyone else could do it. This, this is the church in Corinth, the early church. And what are they doing? Getting drunk at communion. You see, what they wanted to do was, you know, the rich people would come because they didn't have to work. And the slaves, their fellow Christians who did have to work, would come in late after walking, by the way. And those that were privileged, those that were rich, they already partook of the Lord's Supper. They were stuffed and drunk, and then who comes through the door? The slaves, the servants. Just like in the book of Jeremiah. It's amazing. The word of God is so true. Even in the church, they were reneging on their promise they were they were going back on their vows they weren't doing this corporately like brothers and sisters in christ they were turning it into a competition who's the more spiritual who can do this and eat the most or get drunk as it says in first corinthians what does Paul say, by the way? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, another is drunk. What? 
Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. This is Paul. New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Describing the Lord's Supper. How they're misusing it. And we can do exactly the same thing. We can come to church. We take our little you know, cup. It's not enough to do anything to you. But what can it do? You take it unworthily. We, we take it in such a way where it's just a you know, little wafer that doesn't taste anything. And a little bit of, you know, as Pastor described on Sunday, bad tasting grape juice. What does it say in verse 27? This is the understanding that we have in communion. How this is truly, even though we don't believe that this is the actual body of Christ or the blood of Jesus Christ, we understand that it's sacred though. That when we take it, we are actually proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. A communion, a fellowship between you and God. Not, not you know, with others, but... But between you and God. What does it say in verse 27? Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of, Je of the Lord. Do you understand there's a, a judgment that comes when we don't take this in the correct way? When, when this is just like any other food or any other snack. When I, when I don't examine myself and my relationship with God. Verse 28, it offers the solution, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, just like we read earlier from the book of James, just like we read earlier from the book of Matthew. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many of you are sick, are weak and sick among you. Many sleep, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And just like we learned last week, uh, tonight we have the privilege of taking this, but before we do, we need to examine ourselves. Quietly, to yourself, just, just ask the Lord, please search my heart. Is there anything keeping me from you? Is there anything between us, God? We're going we're gonna to take this together, yes, but the understanding is we have to examine ourselves. I give you a, a, a short amount of time to do that. Just ask the Lord, please reveal to me anything that may be keeping or hindering my relationship with you. Lord, we don't like left silence. It seems like forever. Lord, we ask that you would help us to examine our lives tonight. 
come before you and repent of our sins, knowing that you will forgive us, but you invite us to repent. On our part, that we look at our lives and say, Lord, please forgive me for this sin or that sin or an addiction that we've maybe have conquered in the past but have come up again or, or maybe our attitude toward other people or relationships, whatever it may be, Lord. We ask that you help us confess those things to you. Continues on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The instructions, and you, you've heard these before. Normally we read them from Matthew or Luke. But in 1 Corinthians, it, Paul's describing it in a little bit more uh, detail. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But by the way, Paul wasn't even in the upper room. Paul wasn't even at the Last Supper. He wasn't there. That, that was the original 12, Right? You see, Paul came after, right? And he's describing this upper room as if he was there. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Knowing that not just Judas, but even Peter and all the rest of the apostles would betray him. And yet he ate with them. He, he had that communion, that last supper with them. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, as we get the privilege of doing, taking this wafer and eating it together as, as they did, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and whenever we take it, we remember who? The broken body of Jesus Christ. And as you chew on it, I ask that you remember what Jesus Christ did for you tonight. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper saying, this is the covenant or the cup in the new covenant in my blood. And just like we've learned tonight from the Abrahamic covenant, it was cut in blood, animal blood. The new covenant of cut, of course, is cut in whose blood? Jesus Christ. And in like manner, what are we supposed to do whenever we take this cup? This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus Christ did for us. His broken body, his shed blood on the cross for our sins. The privilege of knowing that Jesus did this personally for us. Then it says in verse 26... What do we do every single time we take this? 
We remember what he did for us. That's personal, right? And then what are we supposed to do? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till when? Till he comes, till he returns to the earth. This is the remembrance until we have the privilege of eating with Jesus Christ personally. The marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven with a lot better tasting food. But this is just a, a short reminder, uh, you know, a, a little, you know, snack, if you will, until we take partake of the real thing. The shadow before the real. And as you all know, if you've been here before on a Wednesday night, uh, we, we do what the disciples did, what the apostles did. After they partook of the meal in the book of Matthew, book of Luke, they, they sang a hymn as they went up to the Mount of Olives. In verse 2 of this song, I just want to read the words. It says, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Please stand with me as we sing this last song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Oh, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.
And so, Father, I ask you bless these, my friends, my family tonight. I ask that you would change us. So that we are different than when we came into this building. That we would remember what you did for us. And despite the fact that we too have broken many, many vows. Lord, if we just come to you and confess, you will forgive us, Lord. We thank you for never, we thank you for never, we thank you for never breaking any of your promises to us. That you are always faithful. Just like the book of Jer or Lamentation says, that every single day we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your loving kindnesses are new, your mercies never change. Because you are a great and faithful God. Lord, I ask you bless these that are here. Bless those that will listen in the future. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. God bless.